not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power everyone and welcome to the Bubble Hour where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled. I've been telling my story there of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my story there and hold space for you to share your stories here. And I have quite a treat on the show today. Um, wow, this is really neat. So a friend of mine is going to be joining a friend from high school who through the magic of Facebook, of course, we've stayed uh, on top of each other's lives from from far away over the years. And um, he is going to be joining me here shortly to talk about a nice little surprise that he posted on Facebook the other day that he had quit drinking. And it was one of those casual posts. I know a lot of you have done the same where you're like, hey, so everyone, just so you know, no big deal, but I quit drinking. And uh, those of us who know what it's like to quit drinking know that it is kind of a big deal. It's a, it's a big deal to do it. And it's a big deal to share it with other people. And uh, so, of course, I messaged, messaged him right away and said, tell me about that and how's it going and I, I, let's catch up. So we decided to catch up on air so that he can uh, tell his story to me and you at the same time. And I will um, try not to like get bogged down into the remember the 80s stuff <laughs> because we were in high school together in the 1980s and uh, we're really good pals and, and uh, both enjoyed a lot of the same like it was a total John Hughes movie, the school we went to. And uh, anyway, so we'll try not to get too bogged down by reminiscing, but I think it'll be a great conversation. Before we get to the guest, I do want to just give you an update that I'm very excited. As you know, um, the novel that I wrote has been seeking publication. I do have someone who has requested a full manuscript read. This is the next step. It's not happening yet in terms of being chosen, but I'm one step closer and really feeling really positive and great about that. And I'm on track to have my Unpickled Surviving the Holidays guide available for November 1st. And um, that will be either ebook or print book that you'll be able to get. And uh, I've been gathering lots of knowledge and tips for getting through Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, Super Bowl, all that stuff that happens in that cluster of months that can really sidetrack going alcohol-free. So more on that to come, but keep an eye out for that. You can learn about all of it at gmccarthy.ca. So now, enough about that. Let's get to our guest, my dear friend, Carl. I'm going to bring him on. He's uh, calling from a coffee shop. And so I know there's a little bit of background noise, but I'm super excited to talk to him. And I think that this is going to be a great conversation. So... Carl, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Thank you, Jean. I'm glad to be here. I'm I'm really excited to chat with you and and hear um, just to get caught up. And as I said, I'll try not to keep saying remember when or you know do you do you still have that haircut? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very short now, so there's that question off the table. 
<laughs> I do huh. think the last time we saw each other in person might have been at my wedding in 1989. Um, it maybe actually there was, was at our, it was actually our grad reunion in, in 2005. That's right. We did have a reunion, yeah. so it wasn't so long ago, but still quite a, quite a ways back. Okay. Well, yeah. we have a lot of ground to cover, but um, as I said, you know, the, the first order of business on the bubble hour is for us to get to know you and to get to know your story. So I'll turn it over to you and have us tell you about yourself and how you got to this alcohol free point in your life. Sure. Um, where to start on that, Jean? I guess, um, you know, I, I grew up in kind of a family environment and culture where like social drinking was just normal, um, uh, European immigrants, uh, alcohol was a big sort of just normal part of socializing in mealtime and very commonplace. And, and as I became a teenager and a young adult, I just naturally acquiesced into that culture where uh, imbibing on a regular basis around social functions was just normal. And um, really, it just I think it became kind of a, 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 almost like an everyday treat. And I would, I found myself as I reflect back on my adult life, just thinking about the stresses of days, you know, from university through to career and, and mid-stage life, that it was something that I, drinking that is, having a cold beer or a glass of wine or something, something that I, I looked forward to um, at the end of every day. And so it was just like a, a normal part of, of my life and lifestyle. And then pretty much everyone that I knew was a social drinker as well. And I mean, how did I come to the, the decision point in my life where I wanted to give it up? It's a, it's, it's a difficult kind of a difficult question to answer when I when I reflect on my adult life there's been quite a number of times where I've done like abstinence from drinking um, I wouldn't consider myself a religious person by any means but um, uh, I, I've historically given up alcohol and other things for the season of Lent so for 44 days or so and and I've um, I've done other 30-day challenges and then in 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 more recent years, um, just for context for your listenership, it's been a little bit over two years since I separated uh, and um, ended a long-term marriage. And when I kind of reflect back on that, I I think that um, I just I realized, you know, when I when I would when I reflected on, you know, things in my life that maybe I could have done differently and, and what were some of these lessons that I could learn from a, a long-term relationship ending, I, I, I sort of turned from time to time to reflect on my drinking habits and thought, you know, all these times that I've done these um, abstinence challenges, I found myself really dwelling on uh, on a sense of lacking or scarcity and like not uh, almost like looking forward to when this challenge is over so that I can have my first beer or glass of wine or something. And, 
And so that prompted me to to do a 30-day challenge maybe around a year ago or so. And I, and I found it was very similar, kind of I, I felt like the scarcity mindset that I was being denied something. And, um, and then over the course of maybe the last, 12 months leading up to the, 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 the decision to give it up completely, I just was trying to think of like and reflect on what, what in my life can I be doing differently? Like I, for, for context, like I've, I'm an active person. I've always been uh, health conscious. I eat well. I, I take good care of myself, exercise regularly. I just found myself like feeling mentally fatigued all the time, no matter how much I slept. And so I thought, well, let's do another 30 day challenge. And so I, I embarked on one around, like, I guess it would have been the summer of 2018. I found that just a lot of strange and positive changes started happening in my life during that 30 day challenge. And um, I was in a, a contract opportunity that was a little bit frustrating, and, and lo and behold, an, an opportunity just happened to come my way without me looking for one that opened up uh, during this 30-day abstinence challenge as well. And then um, I did another 30-day um, challenge, maybe two months after that, and found myself... Um, Doing further reflection on like why why had I relied on this as a, a treat for my whole adult life, and I just came to the conclusion that it wasn't serving any purpose. In fact, it was probably detracting from being productive and successful in my life. And 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 as I thought about doing another challenge, I thought, well, let's let's maybe do something longer. The longest I've ever done in my adult life that I could recall was these season of Lent challenges for 44 days. So I thought, hmm, let's do 60 days for once. And, and just then I can say I've done it longer than any time I can remember in like decades. And, and so I embarked on that with just a different mindset and different knowledge. I had to quit myself, um, read, a, read a book called This Naked Mind. I believe the author's name is Annie Grace. And uh, a book by some guys from, from the United Kingdom called One Year No Beer. I started to learn about kind of a, the impact of relying on, on a substance like, like um, alcohol for uh, daily relaxation, long-term on, like dopamine and other levels of um, neurochemicals in my brain. I thought, hmm, maybe there's something to this. If I go longer, I'm going to realize some, some more benefits in my life. And so I embarked on, it was actually February 14th, Valentine's Day of this year that I decided let's do the 60 days and by the time the 30 days passed I felt a real sense of accomplishment because I'd gone longer than I had in the past two challenges in the prior year and as 60 days approached I thought to myself hmm let's 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 do another 30 let's do 90 and then we'll take it from there and the 90 came and went and so I'm three months into this journey and and I did more reflection and thought, like, what, what, what purpose is this serving in my life? And, and I had to do some, some challenging soul searching during those 90 days and thought about, like, the breakdown of a long-term marriage, uh, the challenges I was having with uh, my, my uh, nearly adult child. And 
and wondered about the impact that that uh, this had had on my ability to be effective as a, as a partner and a parent. And, and so somewhere between like 90 days and my post that you happen to see on social media at the six-month juncture, I just figured like, why not make this a permanent thing and just see where where this journey goes? And so I'm probably starting to ramble now, Gene, but, but hopefully that gives you and your listenership some insight into my journey and feel free to like ask any questions to probe deeper or to gain any additional insight. Well, the first thing that I noticed as you're talking about it is you sound sort of like, you know, um, it doesn't sound like it was destroying your life in any way, but that it was detracting from it. And the fact that you kept deciding to give it up for Lent or do challenges tells me that you placed a high importance on it. So how do you feel it was impacting you negatively? Um, I, I think it did have some profound negative effects and maybe I just didn't really get into those details in, in my summary, but, um, I like, if I think back in the past several years, like I'm a, I've, I've had senior management positions and I've done consulting work and, and I, I found for a quite a long time, I would be in meetings and just feel like significant mental fatigue and thought, hmm, is this just like um, the mid stage of my life creeping up on me or like, what's going on here? And I, and I, so that was one factor. Like I, I, I kind of came to realize like the, the impact that it was having on me, like, like daily imbibing was having on my, my brain function was, was one obvious negative factor. I, I also, as I reflected, like, I, and some of these things come clearer in hindsight. I think, like, emotionally, I was not as, like, I, I mean, I'm a measured, calm person, but, like, internally, I was carrying a lot of, like, ups and downs, like, high, like holding in high stress, high anxiety, and, and um, wondering, like, like and, and just looking forward to the end of the day, like, having a, having a beer or wine and kind of, dealing with that and, and as I as this journey um, progressed I, I just began to realize wow like I'm, I'm starting to feel like this incrementally larger sense of calmness as the journey goes on so those are two definitely negative things my, my mental capacity and my, my kind of internal emotional struggles have like significantly reduced I just feel like that's so huge, especially as you go through, you know, the changes in your relationship and dealing with your daughter who is, you know, growing up and, and needs to have a good relationship with you. Do you feel like you're more present for life, that you're showing up on a different level now? Yeah, absolutely. And and that, I mean, that causes some perspective. Like, I hate to use the word regret, but if I reflect on what over many years led to the erosion of a long-term relationship and what I maybe could have done different as a parent. There's certainly a lot of lessons learned that I, you know, I wish I could turn back time, like, and, and kind of be, be this person now as a, as a parent, maybe 10 years ago. And I, I, I think I've been a good parent, but like now, just, yeah, I'm so much more present. Um, I, I, I realize that when, when, stresses or triggers uh, related to my daughter, for example, come up, um, I can just sort of 
hold space and, and be with her and listen and, and not immediately jump to kind of a stress-induced, problem-solving, kind of fatherly perspective as an example. Um, I'm curious to know if you use what words you use to describe yourself as a non-drinker. Do you use the word alcoholic or sober? Or what, what words do you choose to use to describe your lifestyle now? Uh, I use the term non-drinker um, that, like, externally. Like it, in, uh, but to be candid, like, my internal voice is, like, I was an alcoholic and now I'm not. And this is, this is the new me. And I, I mean, I use the term non-drinker in social settings because uh, having not listened to your other podcast previous to this, like I, I personally haven't had any struggle with socializing. Like I, it just, it's kind of like I walked through a new door when I decided to, to make this change. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm capable of going and socializing with people in drinking establishments and socializing. And I love having a club soda with a wedge of lime in it. And I find it kind of like entertaining to just watch people sort of change. And, and then, and, and when I revealed, when they, it just creates some interesting conversations. People are like, Oh, like, how come you're not drinking? I'm like, well, you know, I, I did this 60 day challenge, which turned into a 90, 120. Here I am at the eight month mark. And it just opens up this conversation line with people that I wasn't anticipating. And, and I, I'm much more comfortable in my own skin now than I've ever been. So I talk about like my prior drinking habits and they're like, well, it's kind of like me. And like, did you find it hard? I'm like, well, no, um, here's kind of how my journey is. So actually I'm probably starting to ramble now, but non-drinker and just like, you know, it, it's opened up a whole new paradigm of uh, comfortable interaction with people that I never had. Jean. I think that's so cool, Carl, because, well, first of all, rambling is completely allowed. Rambling makes for a good podcast. But second okay, of all, um, I'm and really, I'm glad to hear. <laughs> um, I know exactly what you mean when, uh, at first, it can feel a little awkward sometimes to talk about it because, well, I don't know about you, but I think looking back on on knowing you as a as a younger person, I think we were both like really people pleasers and really cared what other people thought of us. Um, yeah. Not in a superficial way, but in like a really like how do I make my life okay kind of way? <laughs> how do I fit into this world kind of thing? And and um, and when you're used to operating on that mode, it, you really are sensitive to the fact that sometimes people get uncomfortable when you talk about being alcohol-free because a lot of people are uncomfortable with their own habits when it comes to alcohol. So did you yeah. struggle with that at all? Or have you, have you, um, are you different now in, <laughs> at 50-something than you were at 15? <laughs> I definitely... Uh, you nailed, like, you totally nailed me there. Like, definitely uh, a people pleaser and, like, too much of an empath, like like being too keen on how other people are feeling in their energy and situations and taking that on and trying to, like, moderate and help people be happy in all kinds of social and business settings. And, and as I reflect, you know, now that I'm close to 52 and, and that, that, uh, kind of energy I was 
like dealing with and trying to manage. It was it was quite exhausting to be to be honest with you. And so now that like I, I'm still sensitive and caring with people, but I don't feel as strong of a need to to be the people pleaser anymore. And so that what I touched on earlier, like this, like, you know, as I raised the topic of like, Oh no, like I, I don't drink alcohol anymore. And that it's just, it's um, what you said is true. Like it does, it does kind of, I, I sense how it can sometimes trigger other people. And, and like rationally, when I look around society, like how prevalent it is, it's so common, like just, and I talked earlier in my intro about my family culture, like just it's part of the social fabric that I grew up in, like having having drinks regularly around mealtime and social settings. And so when someone whose friend or colleague of others suddenly has changed something that's fairly significantly ingrained in our on our uh, uh, society, it, it just opens up interesting doors. And, and sharing with people. So, yeah, I'm less of a people pleaser now, for sure. That's a relief, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I feel like carrying fewer of the weights and the worries of the world on my shoulders. Yeah, I understand that completely. And, in fact, I, just, I was just um, working on a chapter of this book that I was talking about in the intro of of the holidays, I was writing a chapter about um, hosting when you're the host and how a lot of us as people pleasers, um, you know, that makes being the host is is just very draining for us because we, we work so hard unnecessarily usually to please other people. And in doing that, anyway, I was, I was researching by doing some reading of Melody Beattie's work, which is Codependent No More and um, The Language of Letting Go. And she writes that um, people-pleasing is really a survival skill that we learn in childhood to, to feel safe and to cope and to feel in control. And it's really a subtle way of manipulating people when you get right down to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, like, if we, you and I both had, you know, good, stable upbringings and, and um I don't think either one of us would say we had particularly traumatic childhoods, but can you look back and see like where you might've gotten that idea from that you needed other people to be happy for you to feel safe? Yeah, it's, that's, that's an interesting question. And um, one of the, one of the, the audio books that I've listened to twice along this journey, actually, um, I think I listened to it first about four months ago and then a second time about two months ago. And it's, um, I think he's now since passed away. The author's name is John Bradshaw and he's done lots of the seminal work on shame and healing from shame. And so is the book. Um, I think the title of the book is shame healing, the healing, the binds, healing, the ties that bind us. And, and it like, yeah, uh, your comment is accurate. I, you know, from the outside, pretty normal upbringing. Um, and one, one thing that was maybe different, like my my father, like my birth father, passed away when I was fairly young, and um, so I was raised primarily, like um, primarily in like a, a household with just a mother figure, although. Uh, my my mom did remarry and I had a, a strong father figure in my life, kind of in my teenage years. 
But one of the things that I, I was very attuned to after my father passed away was just the insecurities that my mom had and, and felt very much like after, after my father passed away that our, our family wasn't um, meant like wasn't meant to be included in, in social things with my father's side of the family, which, which turned out not to be true at all. It was just insecurities and, and uh, in other social situations where there'd be like neighborhood social functions, uh, we would we would quite often not attend as a family because I heard messages from my mother that, that like they don't really want us there and those sorts of things. So from age of five and a half till I don't know like early adulthood, I just I remember being around messages of sort of lack of worthiness or like not not deserving certain things. So so that was just an insecurity and a struggle. And I think that kind of bound itself up in some underlying shame, which, which when I realized, you know, I could kind of mask that or make it feel like it went away for a period of time by having, having uh, alcohol, that, that kind of opened up that Pandora's box for me, Gene. I feel like I've mm-hmm. meandered away from your question. Maybe No, maybe, you, you've maybe answered it fully. You've, you've answered it completely but it it makes me think of every movie i've ever seen where you know after the father's funeral someone walks up to the son and puts her hand on the shoulder and says you're the man of the house now <laughs> did you it's, it's so oh my god can i can i even like answer your question before you ask it because yes. i remember <laughs> like i i grew up on i grew up uh like my early years were spent on a farm and uh, I mentioned my father passed away when I was five. We sold and moved away from the farm when I was about seven and a half. And I remember maybe like within a few weeks after my father's passing, um, close friends and family would come and visit and pay their respects or just see how we were doing. And I remember this one man said to me, like he, he literally like put his hand on my shoulder and said, well, young Carl, I guess you're the 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 man of the household now and of this and 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 so here's this like five and a half year old brain who heard this message and and weird like I immediately thought of like oh my god like how am I going to learn to drive the tractor and things like this which isn't which isn't based in reality but that's how my little child you know child brain processed that and so yeah like I really felt that and I did experience that and and it's just like I can, I can remember exactly where on the farm, what the, what the lighting was like, who it was, and everything. It just comes back to me like it was yesterday, Jean. Wow. Yeah, and I could see how that would really plant the seeds that, over time, could take you a long ways off track. On the, one thing we often say on this show is that if a ship leaves port just a degree or two off course, you know, it winds up on the wrong continent. <laughs> and, um, Very true. I feel like that's that's what can happen. So, uh, and I'm sure that person was well-meaning who said that to you. But, you know, I have a grandson who's five and a half, and I can just I can just see those little eyes taking in the weight of the world if if they thought that it was, you know, as little people we really we can really get some misguided messages. Um, yeah. 
So do you, have you done any therapy or healing work besides the self-directed, like I can tell you do lots of reading and you've always been like a really introspective guy, but have you ever worked with a professional and kind of sorted through stuff or have you been doing it all on your own? It's pretty much been on my own, Gene. I mean, I, I, I've, like I have a good therapist, like a psychologist that I've seen for a number of years someone who my ex and I saw kind of for couples therapy. And then I continued on with her kind of on my own personal journey after our uh, marriage ended. And, and certainly we've, we've kind of touched around the edges of, of alcohol use and that, but, but not like for concrete and targeted work. Um, no, it's more, it's been more like sort of like self awareness and just, like through discovery of, of learning about shame and, and dealing with toxic shame and, um, and learning about like the impacts of, of regular use of any substance, alcohol, opioids or whatever, and how it, how it creates an imbalance, like not just like, you know, it's hard on our, our body's organs, but like those recover pretty quickly, but it's the imbalances in the brain that, um, are significant. Like I could go off on a whole tangent about my empathy that I now have for anyone struggling with any kind of addiction, just because of the the long time that it takes for the brain to rebalance itself and all the other parts of the body uh, recover quite quickly. Anyway, I think maybe I'm rambling again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious, do you have, did you experience any um, transfer behaviors? Like sometimes when people, quit eating they you know we often will lean on I don't know sweets as a crutch or some people find that their gambling maybe you know process behaviors can spike as a result of quitting your your maladaptive coping skill of choice did you have anything else that popped up that you had to yeah that you had to deal yeah, with it's funny absolutely it's funny you mention that like every single time that I like even if I reflect back to like the third the two 30-day challenges I did last year and the, the various 44-day challenges, you know, in the odd, the occasional season of Lent, I, I found myself, like, the first day or two was like, oh, this is no problem, and then, like, by day three or four, it was like, uh, my, my go-to, um, like, loosely call it drug of choice was ice cream, uh, something fatty and sugary was whatever, like, was, was what my brain was craving, so I found uh definitely i would i would have like a uh a need to indulge in something like an ice cream treat every night especially on this the early days of this permanent decision that i've made and i i, I reflect back like if i think back to like 5 months ago when i would you know open up a small container of ice cream and tell myself i'm just going to have like half of this container and then before I knew it, the whole container was gone, I realized, hmm, this is kind of like my uh, my lack of control when it comes to beer or wine in the fridge as well. So, so yes, I definitely, uh, guilty as charged, I relied on um, ice cream of various flavors to kind of get through or transfer my uh, my my brain and, and physical habits need for something else in the evening. 
you know, ice cream was what got me through the early days as well. It's a, I think it's a great tool because <laughs> it doesn't pair well with alcohol, so it can it doesn't you don't feel like you're missing the alcohol, That's but so you kind of yeah yeah you get the little um, pleasure reward boost of of sugar and fat and all the all the senses get rewarded. But I have since learned that um, spiking our sugar can actually then result in a craving because a lot there's a Absolutely. connection between, but. But I, I also used the same crutch, and I also then had to wean myself off of ice cream. But <laughs> I, I know you have to go. To I know you have to get back I'm, to I'm work. I'm okay for a couple minutes if you're okay, too. But, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, oh, good, good. Uh, well, what I, yeah. I have one more question then for you. I want to know what words of wisdom you would have for someone who approached you and said, hey, I'm thinking of giving up alcohol. It's taking over my life. You know, what should I do? What do you say to that person? Uh, I mean, my immediate response was like, absolutely, like go with what your intuition is telling you and start this journey, like set, set yourself a goal. I think, I think I've really learned from this, the importance of goal setting. Like, um, I, I, I'm not like, I'm not your typical type A person. Like I'm not, not that I don't set goals like I do, but I'm not like my life isn't, isn't, um, I don't rule or dict or like kind of govern my life by a whole series of goals. Like I, I have big life goals, but I'm not like uh, sort of chronically focused on goals. But having said that, it was important. Like it was, I, I would say to the person, it's important to set yourself a goal and set yourself a bit of a stretch goal. Like for me, when I consciously chose 60 days, it was because I knew this was longer than I will have ever done it in my adult life. And let's do 60 days and just, you know, see, you know, 30 days had profound positive effects. Let's see what 60 days brings. So I would strongly encourage them to go with it, to, um, to set a goal. And I would, and I've done this with other people, I would recommend a number of specific resources. Like, um, you know, I haven't done any, any group settings like AA or anything like that, but, uh, the importance of arming yourself with knowledge is really strengthening. It's certainly for me. So I think uh, I found at least a couple of people that I know who, who have done decided to try challenges have had their eyes open when they've, they've read the fairly easy to read books or audio books that, that provided me with some ammunition and um, encouragement and, and knowledge to, to continue on this journey. Have you talked to your family about going alcohol-free? To your siblings, your mom, your your uh, your daughter? Like, how, how have you explained it to them? They all know about it, actually. And um, although, I mean, I haven't communicated to any of them that you noted that it's a permanent change. Just that I was doing a longer-term challenge, and I was I keep set, kept setting new goals and. Um, initially it was just like, I, I think my, um, it was met with a little bit of like puzzled looks from like my mom and my, my sisters and my nieces and nephews, but, but at the same time they respected it a lot and, and it's like, it's, it's never been an issue, but yes, I've been open, open and communicative with them about it. Just not that it's a permanent change. This is like kind of my life journey now. Well, I just think that it's so cool that we have this in common and we didn't even know it. Um, 
It also is, it says a lot that um, that we were both in touch through Facebook over all these years and struggling and and didn't know it either. So I think there's a lot to be said for reaching out and honesty. And I also believe that, that the universe has great timing. So I think it was probably meant to be that you and I stumbled upon this this conversation and this this link in our lives again after all these years. I'm so glad to talk to you, my friend. Thank you for for being with us today. Thank you for messaging me after my post. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been um, wonderful to reconnect and to have this time to provide some insight into my journey. And, and hopefully this will help um, encourage even one or two of the people who listen to your, your show, Jean. Oh, thank you so much. So I didn't give you the heads up on this whole process, but now what happens is I play some closing music, and then you and I say goodbye off air while the closing music plays, okay? So don't hang up. I'm going to say goodbye to listeners, <laughs> and, uh, and then I will be joining you uh, off air in just a moment, okay? Okay, so that was my dear friend Carl joining us from a coffee shop. I hope you enjoyed our conversation despite the background noise. It was really, really great to talk to my friend. It's always great to talk talk to you. Uh, be sure to write me back and say hello if you have time. I'd love to know how you're all doing. That's all for this time, everyone. Until next time, take good care. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free. Just want to be free